For artists who need managers as well as the managers themselves, the digital age has thrown up constant innovations as well as challenges. Welcome to the future of what? I'm your host, Portia Sabin, president of the Music Business Association. Support for the future of what comes from Merch Table. With over 15 years of experience in merchandising, screen printing, tour support, and online fulfillment, Merch Table partners with artists and labels looking to jumpstart their business. Visit merchtable.com to learn more and open a store today. On today's episode, we talk about a new online guide to artist management and also how things have changed for professional managers. It's all coming up on the future of what? Support for the future of what comes from Sound Exchange. You're listening to the future of what. I'm talking to Brian Dubb of Centralized.me. Brian, welcome to the future of what. Hey, thank you very much. Nice to be here. So I understand there is a backstory to the creation of Centralized. Do you want to lay it on us? All right, I'll try and keep it as uh, as brief as I can, not make it a life story. <laughs> okay. I started out as I'm originally a, a music artist, mostly a lyricist. And there came a point where there was a solo record and it was produced by this young Chilean guy. I mean, I did the solo record backpacking in the 90s around doing it in people's bedrooms just when the technology allowed that. And I ended up in Chile with a young 16-year-old guy called Nano Stern, who I wrote some of the songs with, recorded in his bedroom when he came back from school. And that turned into a, a really you know, strong friendship as well as a musical partnership. And then his career really started blowing up. And as normally happens, I sort of became the manager of him. And I was the one in the, amongst the crew of people that sort of best suited to that. And we built him up from busking to doing 5,000 tickets a night without the involvement of the mainstream music industry. Hmm. So really, really independent. We broke a lot of rules along the way and did things our own way and really set him up to be in control of his whole career. And 15 years later, that's still going on and he's going really well. And that led me to really set up a business that flipped the music management model that sort of recognized the idea that smart and experienced artists at the end of the day, they're the ones responsible for everything in their world. And ultimately, they're actually the manager. And so we set up this thing called Empower Pro. And it ended up through a, a number of chance meetings and, and people that I knew when I was an artist in London, I got linked up with the English artist Imogen Heap, who had, I'm not sure if you've heard of her, but she's a really groundbreaking artist. She just came back to America for the first time after eight years away. I, I would have to say what, I've maybe met one or two real geniuses in my life, and she's one of them. And at the time we met, she had just parted ways with her manager. She didn't want to be involved in the major label system anymore, and she really wanted to do everything her own way. And so, you know, when we met and she saw what we were doing, she was really keen for us to work together. So we got, you know, a really significant client into Empower Pro with the whole premise being that she would be her manager and we would facilitate that and empower her to be that, which is really, I suppose, going back to the source where managers they weren't the stars and they weren't known and they stayed in the shadows. So, you know, I used to make this joke to people that I sort of hide behind Imogen until someone needs to be sorted out. Then I sort of come out with the brick in hand <laughs> and, you know, do what needs to be done and then retreat with the blood dripping off the brick back behind <laughs> into the shadows. 
Not violent at all, Brian. Not at all. <laughs> not violent at all, you know. But I, I must say, like, I was very, very lucky because not only is she a genius, but she is also incredibly generous, unbelievably professional. But one thing about her is that she really flips things very, very quickly and changes her mind very, very quickly. And because of how good she is, I really trusted her to do that and empowered her to do that. So that doesn't really work in the music industry so well because people like things a certain way and they want things done the way everyone else does them. And she's the opposite to that. So I really embraced this idea with her and it worked really, really well. And we were able to basically tour America on a very slow tour without releasing a new album and make it very successful, just sort of as one example of what we were able to do in these three years. But the interesting thing was, so I got her as a client and I was all ready to, you know, expand the business and go and meet these other artists and bring them in and grow this sort of thing. And I was sitting in an underground studio in Tel Aviv trying to show one of the sort of leading Israeli international acts this thing. And they turned around to me and they said, wow, you know, this is the future of management. But tell me, why are you doing this for established artists when there's tens of millions of emerging artists who will never find a manager? and don't have access to any of this information. And it was sort of one of those light bulb moments, you know, where you suddenly sit there like a deer in the headlights and suddenly realize that your entire life has changed with one comment. And so from that point on, I really stopped trying to grow the Empower Pro thing. And I must say, with a lot of support from Imogen Heap as well, really set about building a platform of what is to become the world's first automated digital manager for artists and their teams. So we start with the premise that we break down every single job that needs to be done on behalf of an artist, break that job down, simplify it, explain it, and then bring it back together by showing people how to connect the dots and how all the dots connect in music. But it's all from the point of view of an artist, of how everything looks from their point of view. So it doesn't matter if you're an artist sitting on your own in your bedroom whether you're a new manager who's looking to manage an artist. You know, we, we tell artists DIY does not mean alone. You know, it's extremely difficult to be your own manager and be an artist. I have met one or two in my travels who've done that, but they tend to be extremely crazy and ridiculously talented <laughs> and have this ability to switch between the two heads seamlessly, which is, I think, extremely rare. So we tell people, you know, bring a friend, bring someone you trust, and when people are saying, you know, they're always looking for a manager, I always say to them, you know, that person who knows all your songs, comes to every show, carries your gear, drinks your rider backstage, and you trust them with money, that's your manager. <laughs> and our platform will teach them and you how to manage your world. Wow. So that's what Centralized is. We've just released the first version about three weeks ago. And the, yeah, the response has been quite astounding. Yes. So centralized.me is the website. Correct. And I have to say, this is really exciting for me because this is sort of the online version of what I've been trying to do with this podcast for the last five years to some extent in terms of getting artists to understand the job of being an artist and how every next step happens. And I love it that everything is broken down, simplified and explained on this website. So my question is, there's a free trial period so an artist can use it for a while and then at some point they do have to pay, right? Yeah, I mean, we're not ready to charge for it yet. We're evolving it still. There is a proprietary thing they're called the list which is sort of the cornerstone, the skeleton of what we do. And that's there, and that's already creating great waves. But there's a lot of stuff out there for 
independent emerging artists. There's all the platforms have got various content and there's a lot of tutorials and all these sort of things out there. But what we find is everybody is either skimming around the surface or they are putting out material that focuses very much on bringing the artist into their business, whatever that is, whether they're a distributor or you know, whatever platform they are. And what we're really trying to do is dig very, very deep and go very deep with the artists into each aspect of what they're doing. And when we feel we've achieved that, then we'll start charging for it. Got it. So I'm not ready to charge for it yet because it's not as valuable as I want it to be. But I've been shocked by the reactions that I'm getting online from people and the messages we're getting. And we're ready, we're having a big impact. So that's wonderful. And of course, you know, we've got artists coming back with spelling mistakes and other various things and asking for things that aren't there. So it's that kind of process. <laughs> right. There's a thing in tech, you know, they say if you, I think it was the guy who invented LinkedIn, he said something to the effect of, if you're not embarrassed by what you release, you've released at the wrong time. You've released too late. <laughs> you've got to be embarrassed by it. There have to be some flaws. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, we'll charge for it. I reckon we'll start charging sometime in the next couple of months. But it'll be, you know, we're very conscious of price points and very conscious of giving value because we've been there. This is being developed by artists and managers. So we very much come from the pain of what we're trying to solve here.
That was Porcelain Throne by Two-Ton Boa. If you're enjoying this program, please subscribe to our show on your favorite podcast platform and leave us a review. To find out what's coming up next, subscribe to our newsletter or follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, or LinkedIn. You're listening to The Future of What. I'm talking to Brian Dubb of Centralized.me. I mean, now more than ever, I feel like now in this current moment in the music industry, this is really the time, I think, for people to stop holding on to information and to start really sharing it. I think streaming and the way that music is distributed nowadays has really created an era where we have to all understand that together we can grow the pie. It's no longer a situation where I'm going to hang on to my tiny piece of the pie and just try to grow that for me and mine, which I think for years was sort of part of the music industry. You know, even when I was in bands in the 90s in New York City, you know, bands weren't necessarily helping each other. It was more like, well, I got my show at the Mercury Lounge on a Saturday night. And, you know, that's what I was trying to do. And you guys are just only playing brownies or whatever. (laughs) Yeah, totally. I mean, I think there's a lot of bigger things at play. Streaming is kind of the big story at the moment that people keep referring to. But I think there's some other massive trends that are being ignored. I think one of the key trends being ignored is that the music management model, as we know it from even back in the 90s, and you know we're sort of showing our age, but that's when I was in bands in London while you were in New York. Back then, managers, and I think to some degree this still happens, but only in the key musical cities of, say, London, New York, and LA, where a manager could go around, sign acts, get advances from the major record companies, and fund themselves that way. By and large, those days are over. So it's extremely difficult to be a manager and to actually make a living. And so there's a radical shortage of managers. And at exactly the same time, with the advance of technologies like digital audio workstations and other stuff like that and cheap travel, it's incredibly cheaper and the barriers to entry are so much lower for people wanting to play music and get out there. So you've got this explosion of the number of aspiring artists compared to even the 90s. Then you lay over the top all the DJs and the whole electronic music scene because these people are touring artists as well. So that's one trend that's happening. And then I think a bigger trend that's still coming that hasn't even really been looked at is that we're moving into a post-platform era where we move past Facebook, Instagram, Spotify, Apple Music, and that's going to democratize it even further. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I would ask that you speak a little bit more about that. What, what do you think this is going to look like post-platform? Firstly, I think the underlying infrastructure is going to be a blockchain technology. But I'll say it this way. You would remember well when Napster and Emule came out, right? Mm-hmm. And we could get hold of, for free, on the net, all sorts of remixes and live versions. And I mean, forget about even downloading people's proper albums. That wasn't the fun. The fun was all those strange remixes and all of the live takes and outtakes and all that kind of stuff. That was a peer-to-peer technology. You know, it was great, but the quality was various. Okay, some things were great, other things were terrible. As it increased in volume, there were a lot of viruses and all that sort of thing. And so, you know, that's a basic peer-to-peer situation. The blockchain is allowing peer-to-peer, but at a much higher level. So we can transact and we can share stuff and we can do much more functionality than just sharing files like we did in the beginning. So if you imagine that that technology then becomes available, you can go direct between each other and that you don't need to go through platforms. 
Now, a lot of people, when you speak about this, they can't imagine a world beyond a platform like Facebook, Instagram, or Spotify, but then they couldn't imagine anything past AOL and MySpace either. Right, right, yes. And so people say, well, what's your justification? How do you explain this? I mean, what, what basis have you got to even have this kind of vision for the future? And so if you look, like Facebook at the moment is a platform for people over 35, okay? So if you look at the what the younger generations are doing, people in their late teens and early 20s, they're existing in messenger groups, whether it's on Telegram, WhatsApp, Fiber, or even Facebook Messenger, and they're sharing a whole lot of stuff. So WhatsApp started, all you could do was share messages, then you could share calls, then you could share video calls, then you could make a group, then you can share all sorts of files with each other within the group. Now, I know because I happen to be based near to Tel Aviv in Israel, there's people doing financial transactions through different ways on these messenger services. So that is where it's going. Hmm. And that's the future. We're seeing the small green shoots of it now amongst the younger generation who don't want to expose themselves on Facebook and Instagram. Right. I mean, I have kids of nine and 11 years old and we sit on a beach and we see these people taking selfies and editing the photo. And the kids say to me, like, they look a little bit like it's a bit weird. <laughs> you know, like, what are they do? What are they doing? And so the next generation is looking at this going, this is madness. I'm not giving up my privacy. I want to be in this little group with my friends. Mm, oh, that's so interesting. for artists, yeah. especially artists, where most of our product is digital, even ticket sales can be digital. The only thing that's not digital is physical merch. Everything else is digital. So everything can be transacted and shared without the platforms. So you think it's going to be more direct? I think it's going to be much more direct, yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. So let's quickly go back to this list, the list on centralized.me, which I think is really cool. I won't read the whole thing, obviously, but it, it says roles and responsibilities for artist and team. And then it's got big picture, money, communicate, creative content brand, playing shows and touring, marketing live and releases, merchandise, etc. And it's got breakdowns underneath each category of all the things you should be thinking about. And I am just in love with this and I'm going to send it to everyone I know all the time because this is critical, you know, and I think it's also important for artists to see this because playing music is so much fun that a lot of times people think, well, the fun part is the part that I want to do and I, I don't want to do the hard part and I don't even know what the hard part is. You know, a lot of times it's the opposite. People want to do the hard part. They just don't know what to do, in which case the list is perfect. But I also think the list is nice as a weeding out. You know, it's like, do you guys want to do all this? <laughs> okay. Actually, the unintended effect is that it's been weeding out a lot of managers. Interesting. Because what we say to artists, you know, we have a sort of, there's a small crew of us building this together. And amongst that, we probably have a connection of, you know, 500, 1,000 artists that we're personally connected to. When someone's going for a management deal or they're having trouble with the manager, we tell them, put this list in front of them and ask them which of this they're taking responsibility for. And that's freaking a lot of managers out because they're now they're starting to see. Because for an artist, every single one of those things on that list has to be done. Maybe not all of it today, but ultimately through the course of their career, every single one of those things has to be done. Someone has to take responsibility for it, has to be actioned. And they need to understand how each one relates to everything else. And that's the connecting of the dots. So the list is the thing that breaks it all down. And when you dive into the list, it pieces it all back together for you. So we explain every single thing. There's a guide on every single one of those. I think there's 84. 
which for me is quite scary because all those guides need to be written in detail. And that's what we're working <laughs> through. And then for every single one of them, there's an action step, action steps. This is what you need to do to get it done. And inside that we include, and you know, this is it's so funny with tech. You, you never know what's actually going to be popular through doing the action steps. I decided to put in all the email templates for everybody because I figured that I, I know from being an artist and from being a manager that, Artists tend to write emails that are way too long, number one. And number two, they spend way too long on each email. So what we've done is we've written the emails for every single communication they need to make. Wow. And put that in the system. And then people, artists started seeing those sort of freaking out. You, you can't believe you've done this first. It's amazing. So now we've broken that out into its own section. So you can just go and find the email template you need. We tell you what information you need to fill in. And we get strict with people. You know, we tell them there's, there's a very simple rule for emails. There cannot be more than three lines and you cannot say more than one thing in each email. People are busy. They won't read a long email. So you've got to be very succinct and very sharp. Get straight to the point. Wow. Yeah. Well, you're doing a huge service for not only for artists, but for people who have jobs like mine. Well, the industry should be grateful as well. We're saving them so much time. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, Brian Dubb, this is a very cool thing, centralized.me. Thanks so much for being with me today on The Future of What. Thanks for having me.
That was Hiding Behind the Moon by Jeff Hansen. When Kill Rockstars was looking for someone to take over our fulfillment operation, Merch Table stepped up to do the heavy lifting, moving our entire stock to their warehouse and helping us create merch our fans love. With Merch Table's support, we've been able to focus on the music and artists that matter to us. KRS loves Merch Table. See what they can do for your business at merchtable.com. You're listening to The Future of What? After the show, take a moment to leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. It helps people find the show, and we love hearing from you. You're listening to The Future of What? I'm talking to Adina Friedman of Friends at Work. Adina, welcome to The Future of What? Thank you so much. So I wanted to talk to you because Friends at Work is actually an artist management company and kind of a special artist management company. It sort of occupies a niche of its own. So I wanted to talk a little bit about that, but I also just wanted to ask you about the state of management in 2019, because I think things are pretty unique these days. So why don't you just start out by telling us a little bit about Friends at Work? Yeah, yeah. So Friends at Work, we call ourselves a talent management firm. We're also somewhat of a production company. You know, we really try to help artists and their vision thrive. We like to help artists tell stories that shape culture, make a positive change at the intersection of art and activism. So A lot of our artists like to have a voice in that space that make music to also create social change. That's really cool. That's a special niche. I mean, I think a lot of artists actually are pretty interested in activism. Do you guys have like people just constantly knocking on your door saying like, how do we get involved? We actually do, you know, and I I would say that we really see ourselves as a full service management company. So we're really selective and we want to be able to do the best for our artists. So while we're growing and we've definitely grown year over year in the last like three years, I will say that we're somewhat selective in who we take on because, you know, any relationship with an artist is, you know, in in a way it's really like a marriage and we want to make sure that both of us get the benefits and see the value. And so we do have a lot of people coming and, and, you know, we have a really great team, but we try to be pretty selective just in terms of managing everyone expectations. Definitely. I think that's probably always wiser to have fewer clients, but serve them more significantly. I mean, that's certainly what I found when I was doing management is that management is such a consuming business that you can't spread yourself too thin. Exactly. Yeah. And and even, you know, being a manager nowadays, just kind of with the state of the industry, we really have to look for ways to grow businesses outside of just record sales and touring. And that's one of the things we really pride ourselves on, on trying to do with our artists so that, you know, they have a longer career that way. And, you know, if they want to take a year off of touring, you know, they have other businesses that they can fall on without the hardship of being on the road and away from home and especially artists with family and helping them kind of grow businesses outside of just, you know, where it used to be all in the record sales and touring. Yeah, let's talk about that a little bit. That's an important part of what I wanted to have you on about because, you know, the way that the marketplace has changed, you know, once upon a time, physical sales of albums was pretty much the big source of income. Nowadays, there are digital sales and physical sales, but it's still a little bit of a smaller slice of the pie, depending on the artist. And so artists do sort of have to be these jacks of all trades where they have somebody on their team, if not the artist, him or herself, needs to be out there figuring out where all the money is coming from. And I think that is, you know, it's not just that we can say we've moved from a physical to a digital marketplace. It's also that the number of sources of that digital revenue are like wildly increased. Yeah, no, absolutely. And 
I mean, it's so important now for artists to build their social profiles just in relation to brand deals or being able to market their music. And, you know, if you look back, you know, probably some of the more iconic artists, like there was no Instagram, there was no Snapchat and Twitter and Facebook. And, you know, it was all from either word of mouth, radio play, television. And so now people are discovering music from lots of different sources and artists who might not want a social presence kind of find themselves trying to make it fit in order to get their music out there. Absolutely. Some of your artists on your roster are particularly interesting in that they're kind of iconoclastic. Like Lindsay Sterling is a good example. She is an electric violinist. <laughs> so that is not <laughs> a dancing electronic violinist. <laughs> right. So that's not like who you instantly would think of in terms of like, oh, of course, this person is going to have a very successful career in the music industry. Like if somebody came up to me on the street and was like, I'm a dancing electric violinist, I'd be like, okay, what else do you do? what's your day job but she's sort of an amazing person because she did really come at this from the social direction as far as I understand it she really built a following like a real fan base sort of as she moved forward into her career and now she seems to be expanding into all sorts of different areas yeah no absolutely I mean she's a true anomaly I mean uh, you know, it's interesting. A lot of people, she was on America's Got Talent. She made it to the quarterfinals. She was like completely and utterly humiliated. She's the first to say that it was like a terrible performance. But like, she's a true case of like, okay, she took that feedback and she put in her 10,000 hours and she practiced and practiced and practiced. And when she felt she was ready, you know, for her next opportunity, because the truth of the matter is like, she did not become famous after America's Got Talent. Right. Yeah. Some people might remember her from the show, but like, she did not have a successful career after that show. She did her 10,000 hours. She perfected her craft and she started doing it on her own terms and, and combining her favorite things of, you know, she went to film school. She started making music videos and original songs. And, you know, what I think she did best was she didn't just put like, you know, bedroom videos up on YouTube. She invested in high quality content and she put it up on YouTube. And that's what really helped launch her. Her videos became a viral thing and people wanted to share them. The music was great. The visuals was great. And it was so different. And she was really lucky because she got into YouTube at the right time. She built like her own fan base. And then she's been able to do it on all her own terms. She didn't have to rely on a record label or someone else to create a fan base for her. As soon as she started putting her music up on iTunes, she was funding her own career which really allowed her to maintain creative control of her music and, you know, creative and invest in music video content and just keep funneling it back into her art. Right. And you do have other, I mean, you have John Legend on your roster, you have Raphael Sadiq, like you have people who have relationships with labels. I think probably for every manager, for every artist, it's just what works for their career. But do you want to talk a little bit about like, what are the challenges for being a manager? Like, how did you decide, oh, management, I totally want to do that. (laughs) Like, what about management really caught your fancy? Yeah, honestly, I I worked at a record label for a good seven years and I moved around from marketing to advertising to, to digital. I got a lot of really great experience in the industry. But at the end of the day, 
when I had ideas and, and ways to maybe help grow an artist's career, I just felt so limited. It had to go through so many levels of approval. And it like, I don't really know if it ever got to the manager. To be honest, I fell into management. I fell in love with a local artist and then was just helping out and trying to move things forward. And then before I know it, I was, you know, shopping for booking agents. I was helping try to get tours. I was doing all the things that a manager typically does. And, and I think it just kind of happened naturally. And then I got a taste of it and I was like, wow, like it's so cool to be a part of an artist's career like this. And especially the artist development. You know, I will say like less and less labels are doing artist development now. A lot of it is happening at the manager level. And like you really have to look at kind of the 360 approach of an artist and look at the whole career as a spectrum and and kind of come up with opportunities, create a story before you can even get people interested anymore. Sadly, it's not just about the music a lot of the time anymore. It's what are your social numbers? How many records have you sold? How many plays do you have on Spotify? It becomes so much more when people are looking at like, should I sign this artist to a label? Oh, absolutely. Lover to me, slay in the dark, me 
That was Belly of June by Horse Feathers. If you're enjoying this program, please subscribe to our show on your favorite podcast platform and leave us a review. To find out what's coming up next, subscribe to our newsletter or follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, or LinkedIn. Also, check out our short podcast series about Bratmobile's potty mouth. It's called Girl Germs, and you can get it wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to The Future of What? I'm talking to Adina Friedman of Friends at Work. What you said about creating opportunities for artists, I think that that is so important and creating a story, like those two things. And I think for, you know, musicians, young musicians who are listening to this show, you know, one of the things I always like to say is you have to have a story. And I like your roster. Your roster is particularly interesting because I feel like when you look at just the names of the people on your roster, you can think of a little story for each person. Totally. You know, it's like they have a little identity. And I feel like that's so important. And artists, you know, I've heard artists say many times like, well, I'm just doing this because I love it. I don't, you know, I don't want to have to like be different. Like I don't want to have to put on different clothes. I just want to have to like, you know, I just want to like wear my t-shirt and jeans and, and play my guitar and do my thing. And it's like, okay, well, you know, maybe that was okay 20 years ago, although probably not. But now, like with the number of people entering the internet marketplace, like every day, you have to do things to make yourself stand out. And it doesn't have to be untruthful, but it does have to be interesting. (laughs) No, absolutely. And like the one thing I will say in advice to like artists out there is like, you have to have a vision. I've sat with so many artists who just think getting a manager is like the end all be all of like moving their career forward. And then you sit with them and you're like, what's your vision? Like, what are you looking to tell people with your music? What are you putting out there? And when they are like, well, I don't know. I don't know what the creative looks like. I don't know what I want to, that's for you to figure out. And I'm like, that's not the type of manager that we are as a company. And and like, Lindsay has such a strong vision and she is the true creative brainchild behind her music and what she puts out there. And I'd say that's true with Raphael and John and, you know, all the artists that we work with. And so you know, you might be the best musician ever, but if you don't have a vision, it's going to be so hard for a manager to come in and just make stuff happen. Absolutely. Well, and and the thing is, you don't have to make a vision up. Do you know what I mean? Like, you just have to sit with yourself long enough to actually figure out what your vision really is. Absolutely. And, you know, maybe you're a party rock band. That really worked for Andrew WK. Yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. You know, <laughs> you don't have to have like a deep vision. You can be who you are. But you do have to sort of have an idea of who you are. And I feel like that's so critical nowadays because otherwise you're just another X in the world. And I mean, at this point, I mean, I always think about, you know, when I first started listening to music in the early 80s, when I was like 10, there'd really only been like 15 years of rock, like recorded rock music since the Beatles. And that's crazy to think about, right? Like the number of bands that were around then versus the number of bands that are around now. And certainly the number of bands that have happened between then and now, it's just vast, right? So there has to be a way that you can stand out. You know, there probably was once a time that you could actually know everything about music, you know, know the entire rock world because it was small enough, but now hardly. No, it's always so crazy when I'm talking with my friends and they're telling me about bands that, you know, certainly some of them I should know and maybe don't, but there's just so much music out there. And it's like, it's it's, it's so accessible than ever before. And it's so easy. Like I could go and upload a track on Spotify tomorrow. Yeah. Will people listen to it? That's the question. But <laughs> it's so easy to get music out there. Yeah. 
So what do you tell artists? Because I, I feel like that's what, what you just said is is so true. It's like there's zillions of artists out there. Any of us, you know, we could just write a song in 12 seconds and throw it on the internet tomorrow. And it's like, how do you know that a band is really serious or an artist is really serious? Do you know what I mean? Like, I feel like that's the hardest thing because it's easy to do and the technology is there and it's fun. Like people love playing music. They love playing with their friends. And when you talk to most people, they're like, oh yeah, I totally want to do this as a career. Like, how do you separate the wheat from the chaff, you know? Well, you know, I think one of the things is, you know, you have to put the effort in. If you don't take yourself seriously enough to have a full-time career in music, then how do you expect a manager to or a label to? You know, like you have to know your value and put the work in to get there. Sadly, you know, I wish it was about just creating great art and putting it out there, but like it's not you know, you really have to do the work to kind of move things forward. So I would say, you know, create a vision, as we kind of talked about, know your value, be unique. You know, no one's looking for a copycat. Bring your own unique perspective. Obviously, bands are influenced and artists are influenced by other artists. And I think that's to be celebrated. But figure out how you can bring your own uniqueness to it to make it different. Yeah, I I completely agree to that. What would you say, just sort of in a philosophical vein, like what's the one thing that you've noticed most recently that's changed? Like what's the most recent change in the industry where you actually were like, oh, I just noticed that something's significantly different and now we have to deal with it? So Lindsay Sterling has a new record coming out September 6th and I have, this is my fourth. But I think release with her and, you know, didn't even putting the plans together. It's like, you know, it's a totally different industry than it was, you know, even two and a half years ago on her last record. Retail is different. It's not as much about physical anymore. If you don't have the playlist support from Spotify and Apple, how are we going to do first week in sales? And it's just a totally different market. And you have to find new ways to reach people. We just did something really cool and groundbreaking on Monday. And we worked with this company, Wave XR, and we did one of the first ever virtual concerts. And they created an avatar that looks like Lindsay, and her new album is titled Artemis, and she created a character. And so the avatar looked like this new Artemis character. And she literally, she played on Monday during a live stream, a virtual live stream. And I'm watching the numbers on YouTube, and over 20,000 people in that moment, we're on YouTube watching this concert. And then, you know, and then it was also on Twitch and Facebook. And by the end of the day, we she had played to an audience of close to a million people Wow! Um, without touring, without the cost <laughs> of touring. Now, she's very much is still going to continue to tour. That I'm not saying this is the new touring, but, you know, like these opportunities didn't exist a few years ago. And reaching that many people in a live type setting just, there was no option for that. You know, like you had to go market by market. Absolutely. To do that. Yeah. So, you know, I just, there's all these new technologies popping up that make music more accessible, but also offer different and unique experiences to the fans and listeners. I totally agree. I think music and tech, you know, best friend, worst enemy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Best friend, worst enemy. Yeah, it's funny because I was talking with their agent yesterday about it and they played it in their meeting, I guess. And there was like this uh uh-oh moment of, 
well, how do we make money from that? Like if people don't tour anymore, right. <laughs> it's like, it is a different experience. I think there is something to be said about being in the room versus watching it on a, on a computer, but <laughs> right. <laughs> or with a VR headset. <laughs> right. But you know, it, it, like I said, at the beginning of this talk, it, it's income streams all over the place. You know, it's lots of different ways to do what used to be done really simply. You know, it was two things. It was sales and it was touring. And now it's like a million. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And, and you know, as a manager, I think that your best bet is try to kind of use one to leverage the other and, you know, and try to tie them all in together. Exactly. Well, Adina Friedman of Friends at Work, thanks so much for being with me today on The Future of What? Thank you so much for having me. And that's our show. The music we played today was used by permission. You heard Two Ton Boa, Jeff Hansen, Horse Feathers, and of course, our theme song, Mind Your Own Business by the Delta Five. Subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review. For more info on our shows, check out our website at thefutureofwhatshow.com and sign up for our newsletter. Our program was engineered by Brent Asbury at Beta Petrol and is produced by Will Watts. I'm Portia Sabin, president of the Music Business Association. See you next week.